This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Have you ever stopped to wonder what exactly success means to you? Is it money, fame, power, all of the above or none at all? I'm Darshan Johan and this is Redefining Success, a show where we speak to passionate people from various fields about their lives, what makes them tick and what the word success means to them. Joining me on the show today is Rupa Subramaniam. She's an artist and arts curator. Welcome to the show, Rupa. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me on the show and uh, very excited to define what success means also with you today. So let's start with the big question in itself. How do you define success? Yeah, I, I was thinking about the word success or being successful. Um, and often who you present the, the word to has a different idea of what success means, right? Um, so from a societal point of view, you have a house, you have a car, um, all of these things are functioning, you, you're kind of successful. But then often family has a very different idea of success than how you would think you would want for yourself. Um, so for me, very much so uh, having the time, ability and space without distractions or without imposition from anybody else. Um, to tell me how I should be successful. So if I can live my life um, based on my own values, I think um, that is very successful. Um, If I have time um, to be able to just daydream and do things slowly and uh, wake up every day and be able to do things I want to do during the day instead of waiting for the weekend to come or waiting for the holidays to come to be able to do it, Um, those are the things that I think is success, uh, which I think for our society today is very much a non-orthodox idea of being successful. Right. And, you know, when you talk about, you know, your values, what exactly do you mean by that? And um, you mentioned unorthodox. Um, How is it um, different, the values that you have compared to, let's say, you know, a lot of perhaps um, your acquaintances, your friends, um, society at large and all? Um, how do you think they differ? Um, so let me just uh, give you a story, right? Mm-hmm. So I had this grand idea of my retirement plan. Um, I told myself I want to be able to go to the beach, own a little Vespa, teach little kids art, and, you know, just have a pretty chill life and everything. And that was my grand retirement plan that I wanted to do in my 60s. Um, So I actually have already achieved that even when I was 26 years old. Uh, I had a residency where I was able to go and teach children in Langkawi, and I stayed there for four months. And I only pretty much... got the chance to achieve that um, when I gave up on my own ideas of what it means to be a solo, uh, successful artist, like a fine artist, right? So in many ways, if you look at it from the outside, um, it was uh, it was almost like um, something I was downgrading to, maybe. Uh, but... For me, when I look back in time and in perspective, it was one of the most successful things I did. 
So when I got to Langkawi, the stipendi that I received during the residency there was 1,500 ringgit. Compare that to a salary in KL, it almost seems like, how can I live with 1,500, right? Right. But living in Langkawi, I realized 1,500 was more than what I needed. I could pay for a room, I could pay for my food and still have excess money and still have so much of time in my hand that every evening... I could go to the Chinang Beach and have a jog. And um, those were the kind of experiences that I was lacking in KL because um, more money means more responsibilities, means more clients you've got to handle, uh, which equates to a lot more stress, right? Right. So uh, achieving my, my retirement plan in my 20s now gives me the ability to pursue um, other ambitions I have in my life, you know, uh, what would it be like to go and live on top of a mountain for six months and what kind of insights would I get there? Um, that the ability to drop everything I have in, in KL and just pack up my bags and go and do, um, to have the luxury of time to be able to commit to a project like that, um, those are all um, how I see success, uh, which, you know, if you... If you look at my maybe my assets, um, I still drive for Proton Saga. It's, it's 13 years old now. Uh, it's a bit wobbly. It's not the fastest car. So, like, if you're comparing me uh, to someone's financial assets, then I'm not very successful, right? Mm-hmm. But if, if you look at my calendar and my ability to take the jobs that excite me and the jobs that makes me feel really fulfilled, then I feel I'm very successful with that. Now, Rupa, before we dive a little bit um, more into this idea of um, success and growth and what keeps you going, um, let's talk about the work that you do a little bit. Um, You are not a very orthodox sort of artist in and of itself. It's difficult to put you um, in a box and say like, okay, you are this kind of artist, you're a musician or Mm. you are a painter. Mm. So perhaps you can um, tell us a a little bit more, tell me a little bit more about what exactly do you do? Um, How do you define, not necessarily define, but how how do you think about your work and and, and what what sort of artists are you in that sense? Um, I am an artist who's not really loyal to anything, la. Mm. not an idea, not not uh, not a medium, you know. So most often people ask me, oh, what kind of art do you do? What do you paint? Right. Um, I have painted on bodies before. I have uh, done work with columns. I, I also work with uh, videography and photographers. Um, so... I I get bored easy and therefore not being inside a box has given me the luxury to be able to choose and play with different mediums. You know, if I feel like playing with crayons or pencil colors today, why not? Um, why why have we come to a space where uh, we need to be defined by one thing and, and be successful only in one thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the the grand idea to be an artist, I think, is to play. So I, I like to keep the idea of play in my work, uh, whether I'm playing with um, different tools uh, or whether I'm playing with different um, values or themes in my work. So um, I... I do create my own artwork, but uh, in the past few years, I've also helped many other artists um, to um, connect their work to social themes. Um, so I've run events, 
uh, I've curated shows where I tie up the artist's artwork to something that is happening in society so that the public doesn't just get to appreciate beauty in its most, um, in its most, at its essence, but the beauty is also uh, based with um, life experiences. So I try to um, connect with communities in, in the grassroots areas, um, communities that don't get their stories um, out in the media. Um, our Malaysian media is very much KL-centric, um, so stories outside of KL doesn't get highlighted as much. So if artists get a chance to have all of these experiences outside of KL, then bring it back to KL to be consumed by the audiences here, um, it creates a, a much more Malaysian um, identity rather than uh, KL people imposing onto the rest of Malaysia that this is what Malaysia is supposed to look like, right? right? So there's three main ingredients in the work that I do. Um, accessibility, so uh, the work that I do needs to go back to people, needs to be consumed by people, not just like in a shock and beauty environment <laughs> where I invite the same group of people, they come in, pat my back and go out. Um, no, I don't want that. I want people who don't understand the arts, who don't know anything about the arts, who've never been to an art gallery. So if I can create um, accessibility to this sort of audience, I consider myself successful. Um, the other ingredient I have in my work is uh, the ability to bring in communities, um, so to work with either children or um, minorities, uh, the underrepresented communities, so that is also another ingredient in my work. And the play part comes in again. So um, however I'm using play, right? Like whether it's mm -hmm. the colors, um, still images, but the element of play needs to be there. So the cross, um, the intersection of these three elements is kind of where I stand as an artist, which is sometimes um, not quite what an artist is supposed to do because the idea of an artist is to sit in the studio and think. <laughs> Right. Um, Rupa, tell me about two points in your life. The, the point where you fell in love with the craft, um, fell in love with, with art, um, and the point where you, you told yourself, you know what, I'm going to make this a career. Hmm. Um, I don't know if there was a point I fell in love with art. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I mean, it was... It, one of the, it is and it has been one of the most natural things that I have been able to do, right? Um, I remember as a child, uh, the teacher was trying to explain um, how I blended the colors to another student. And um, the teacher was trying to get me to explain it. And for me, it was just like, it's like that, lah. I don't know how to explain it. You just do like that, me. <laughs> And um, I think I must have been like 10 years old and it, it, was, uh, it was a confusion for me at that point that someone else could not see and do it the way I can do it because it was just so effortless. Um, so it, art for me has always been like that. It has always been effortless. It was just that um, as I got older, <laughs> the pressure of being a certain kind of artist maybe weight on me a little bit hmm. um, so I think and that was a, the crucial point uh, when I decided that I was gonna make my entire income with the arts 
because I actually thought in order to be a successful artist, I need to make 100% of my income from the arts. Otherwise, I'm like a, not a real artist. You know? mm-hmm. I felt like, um, yeah, I, I, I wanted to really get all my income from the arts in order to be able to call myself an artist. So I, I spent a few years trying to do that. And then I realized, honestly, it's not financially very feasible simply because I'm not the kind of artist who uh, works on a painting and sells the painting, right? Right. So it, it needed me to deviate from the values that I held, these three things that I was talking to you about, accessibility, accessibility, play, and community. Um, the previous metric of being an artist, meaning um, do a painting and sell, they... they but Jen loves these two things, right? Like mm-hmm. my values and the ability to make an income from that. So that's where I decide I I had to. I am still finding what it means for me to um, do what I do and get paid for it because a lot of the work that I do is invisible. Um, I still find it hard to to describe my work, let alone get someone else to understand it. Um, so. Yeah, I would say it, it's a. Um, I'm a. I guess I'm at a space where I'm constantly defining and redefining, and um, and working for yourself also means that you have to validate yourself um, along the way. Um, and I can be quite aggressive and hard on myself on what it means to be successful, um, and that keeps me in balance, yeah, I guess. Right. Um, you know, am I having too much fun and, and not like taking care of myself enough? So there's a constant dialogue as though this, this Rupa has an adult and a child. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> right. she's like, yeah, 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 you can do this. And we are constantly negotiating to find out what's this fine line, what's this balance that the adult and the child is both happy with. Now, you know, when it comes to art, um, um, the arts industry, um, when people look at artists, uh, people tend to only look at the glamorous side of things. Um, tell me about your journey, the process of taking your first step um, into the working world um, to where you mm. are today. Mm. So... Um, yeah, uh, this is something maybe I've not shared much, mm. uh, but um, when I was uh, 15, 16 years old, I found out that my mom was uh, really ill. Um, so I had to sort of make plans about how I was going to survive as a young adult without her in my picture. So it, even my mom was uh, very, uh, very thoughtful and careful about making me financially independent at a very young age. So before I turned 19 years old, I had already completed my diploma and I and I secured a job in an agency. Wow. Um, which gave me that sort of financial um, stability. Um, and I lost her soon after that. I lost her when I was 21 years old. It crushed me. Um, it also made me question a lot of, a lot of things, right? Like, um, so you work and you have a family and you do all of these things and then what? Because, like, you know, life is really fragile and, and, you know, life is all of that. So her death, uh, when I was 21 years old, really shook me um, because um, at 21 years old, I already felt like I was successful, right? Like I had already won media awards. 
I was good in my job. Um, I had a lot of potential, uh, as what my directors used to say. Um, and I felt like, yeah, all of this glam and glitz is great, uh, especially when you're in the media. They, they really know how to make you feel important in your job. Um, and for me, I felt this, this sort of emptiness uh, with my mother gone that I... The more I strived in my job to fill up that emptiness, the more I realized that this was very quickly going to get me in the wrong place. Um, my health was not doing great. Um, I I had um, I, I saw a doctor. I had some pains in my body that the doctors could not diagnose what it was. But after I had a diagnosis with them, they actually said, you know, if I keep working this way and I keep going down this road, by 30 years old, I would had a I would have a heart attack. So that was a very sobering realization that um, although on the surface, um, I was deemed successful. At 22, 23 years old, I bought my first house um, and um, like financially, I was really aggressive. Um, so by the books, in every possible definition, I was successful in my early 20s, even more successful than I am now. But yeah, there was just there was just too much pain. There was nowhere for me to go to heal. There was nowhere for me to like be able to find my own um, foundation, lah. So I had to I had to plug everything out. I had to completely go to a space where I can reset. Um, I had to go to a space without distractions, without other people imposing on me. Um, especially that I didn't have my mom, I didn't have my parents telling me, you know, this is what you should be doing, this is, um, or them in a way physically guiding me. Um, I had to go and find it out for myself. So I went back packing when I was uh, in 2014, halfway across the world. I went to Europe, I went to Brazil, Southeast Asia. Um, that really opened up my eyes to find that there's so many more ways to live than this binary, uh, like, right or wrong way, right? There's, right. there's just infinite potentials, but we we force ourselves into saying right or left, yes or no, you know, black or white. Um, but I'd rather be in the gray space where, you know, there's just many, many ways to do things. You mentioned your parents. I know that you've lost both your parents. Do you think your parents would have been supportive of your endeavours today? Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know how to answer that, honestly. Um, I, so the, the conversation about not having both my parents, uh, was, it was something I have been struggling with. Um, simply because um, what your parents think about what you do very much defines or very much... Um, shapes how you think of yourself, you know, and no matter how much you run away from what your family thinks about you, you would always, you, the more you run away, the closer you get <laughs> to what it is they were trying to tell you, right? right. So it's like there's an irony in there. Um, so my, my dad was definitely an unorthodox person. He was, uh, um, he was from Palo Intan who in the 70s, 80s, went to Japan. Um, he lived in Hawaii for many years uh, and then spent a lot of time in India. And he spent a lot of, 
his time, energy, money traveling the world. He was someone who dedicated his life for the community. Um, but he didn't really do much for the family. So there was always a struggle, me growing up, that, you know, that my dad was always someone who did a lot for the community, but not so much for me or right. for my family growing up. So there was a complex there where, where else my mom devoted her life to taking care of me and caring for me. Um, so I, I grew between these two people. And my mom was a teacher, a much simpler woman. She was very frugal. Um, and I grew up almost like her taking care of me independently because my dad was traveling so much. And right. I would see my dad like in a year, maybe a couple of months. Um, so if you if you were to speak to my dad, my dad would say I'm exactly like him. Um, and he would take all the credit for all of the work I've done for the last couple of years and say, yeah, 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 I taught her all of that. Um, and and then I realized I'm a lot like my mother as well. I'm also teaching with good kids, and my favorite students are very much like my mother's students that she used to, you know, the <laughs> naughtiest students, the most difficult <laughs> students are always her favorite. Right. And that's the kind of students I gravitate towards as well. Um, so I'd like to hope they'll be proud um, but they were both very unconventional people um, in their age, in their era, and I'm definitely a product of them. Um, so there was not much running away. I, you know, the, the moment I realized I'm exactly like my mom and my dad, um, I was able to embrace um, myself better. Or I was actually, it was more like whatever flaws I thought I saw in my parents, I was able to see it in me and then realize they're not very much flaws at all. They're just um, part of my own identity that I can work with. Um, so yeah, um, not having them around um, actually has given me the ability and the luxury to um, really sort of uh, push myself at the ambition that I currently have, right? Mm -hmm. um, and to be honest, um, if my mother was around right now, she'd be bugging me to get married and, you know, <laughs> introducing me to guys or whatever not. And so, like, I don't have that pressure. I don't have that stress uh, of trying to please my mom to um, lead a life that she thinks would be best for me, right? But rather, I, I now have the space uh, to be my own kind of a woman and just, you know, have conversations with her and say, like, look, I, I don't know if she, she would be proud of me, but, like, this is the best that I can do and this is the most honest to myself uh, that, that in this position right now and, and that I am um, I am just content. On the show with me today is Rupa Subramaniam. She's an artist and arts curator. After the break, I'll be asking her what it feels like doing something she loves. We'll be back with more on Redefining Success, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Redefining Success, the show where we speak to passionate people from various fields about their lives, what makes them tick and what the word success means to them. On the show with me today is Rupa Subramaniam. She's an artist and arts curator. So Rupa, what is your proudest work today? Oof, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if I can like pick one thing and say that that's what it is. Um, I think 
I am proud to be able to continuously strive because honestly, Darshan, um, I think like uh, every six months since I quit my job, I have been doubting myself, you know, can I go on this journey any further? Then, you know, I'll get one other project and be like, okay, okay, I think I can tahan another three months, I can tahan another <laughs> four months, you know? So I've spent like, what, since 2014, so um, almost... Uh, my math is bad <laughs> but like all those many years just surviving one month to another right so i think to be able to persist in this line of job um is what i'm i'm most proud about let's talk about the work that moved me the most the work of yours that moved me the most your most powerful work to date um, in my opinion this series called the body is mine which is about Hindu goddesses protesting um, body policing. Tell me about it. Um, at that point when I created those series, I was actually very angry. Um, the, the entire series was motivated by rage. Um, mm. So it, the protest was against uh, a group of uh, Indian men who were threatening that uh, women who dressed in saris where their, their tummies can be seen. Um, and so they were going to spray paint these women, right? So, um, me uh, being an active participant of the Taipusam um, processions year after year, um, and the experiences of a young girl being molested in public in a spiritual religious place, um, I, I like for me, it's just I I cannot comprehend it. Like, how am I? Where people are praying that's meant to be pure, that's meant to be sacred, right? Um, that I was molested in that space. Um, and and then there is, um, and then, you know, some guys put up this poster that says, oh, women are the ones asking for it because when they wear sari, you know, you can see their body and they are the ones are too sexy. Therefore, we need to police how they wear the sari. Um, so there was just so many problems in in that and I was very upset with the Batuke's temple community as well for acknowledging that threat and saying yes, women need to protect themselves by saying by coming out with a dress code on the kind of sari blouses women can wear. Um, so for me, um, I was I, I was just um, very surprised la, that the world would um, corner women to that extent. I'm the one upkeeping the culture. Like if you if you go to Taipusam and you compare the men in Vaishtis compared to the women in Paris, the women in Paris outnumber them very easily. Right. But you know, they still wanna control how women are where the saris, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, I thought, you know, if Kali is walking down the streets of KL, would you dare harass her, right? right. Would you dare go and tell her, Kali Ma, your <laughs> sari uh, can see your, your Tamila. Can you, you know, uh, eye it better? Because before the British came and introduced the idea of a blouse, um, the Indian community was not even wearing that. The, the, the sari material just draped across their breasts. That's right? right. So if the Indian community actually knew their history, um, they would know that even the idea of a sari blouse is not their own. It's, it, it was infiltrated into our culture. So um, the, the people who are policing the culture themselves are not aware of the actual history uh, of what they are trying to protect, you know. So um, 
just yeah that, that is kind of um, the rage and the, the uh, inconsistency of the language, uh, uh, sorry, of, of the community and the community then imposing women to be the cultural advocates, but at the same time, um, those cultural advocates only need to please um, a very patriarchal idea of what the culture represents. Um, so that's kind of what this body is mind sort of uh, um, yeah, births I think that's absolutely fantastic. It really, that it really moved me the series, and you know, it it actually reminded me of I can't remember which actress was it that said it, and she was um, dressed a, a particular way, and like you know, many people in the comment section were just going off, oh, is this? It's an Indian actress, and like people in the comments were like, oh, you're dressed this way, you're showing um, this amount of skin, is this even like Indian culture, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. And this mm-hmm. actress said, mm-hmm. go to your temples and see how the goddesses are dressed. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I thought exactly. that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now let's um, tie it back to, you know, this idea of success, right? Um, what drives you, um, uh, you know, to keep doing what you're doing? You've been doing this for, for a while now. Um, were there points where you felt like this career path isn't going to, to work out? Um, clearly, you have continued, you have persevered. Um, like you mentioned, there were points throughout the past few years where, um, you know, you, you have been just going like um, one month to one month, one project to one, one project and, and living that way. What has, you know, motivated you to, to keep working and, and, and to keep pushing along and to put, keep creating and curating um, your art? Um, to be honest, I, I, I had, I'm, I'm, a, I'm actually a very calculated risk taker. La. Although mm. to other people, they, they think of me as like, oh, you know, she's just like, she takes a lot of risks, but right. I actually studied a lot of it. I would do my research, um, years in fact, before I make any, uh, any movement or step that seems irrational or seems drastic, right? But mm-hmm. it's something that I've been brewing about years beforehand. Um, so honestly, I would say the motivation is actually the fear of going back to corporate. So, so every time I'm in this position where, you know, three months, four months in, I'm like, you know, hey, financially I can survive or not, I can pay my mortgage or not. Then I'll be like, okay, la, you know, maybe I should just go and try to get a nine to five job and do my art as a hobby, my weekend. So I'll go look for an interview back to my marketing media stuff and everything. And there was once I went for a job interview and... Uh, I, I think I I, <laughs> uh, I realized that I will not be able to survive in a corporate environment. I won't be able to do the rig tape kind of like um, process anymore. So when I when I go for such an interview, I, I would get like a um, sort of like a minor panic attack. Then I'll be like, you know what? No matter what it takes for me to continue working the way I'm working right now, I will find a way, right? So mm-hmm. I will get a renewed motivation to go and um, figure out how to work this out when I realize I can't go. Um, there's no going back, really. Um, there's only ways forward from here. So um, I am also someone who um, likes to see the big picture. You know, if I can't see the bigger picture of what I'm doing, it's very hard for me to invest my time um and and do something but um the irony is that in my day-to-day action so in my month-to-month um ability to 
to take projects, I I need to keep a lot of free space. So instead of like, you know, even for 2022 right now, I don't really have any, you know, contrary to how I've planned most other years where I kind of know exactly how my year is going to be like. You know, I have my plans, I have my projects, I know which clients I'm going to work with. Um, at this point, I'm speaking to you and I have a completely empty calendar, right? Um, right. I really don't know what I'm going to be doing this year. Um, and I want to leave space so that um, as I change and as I redefine who I am as an artist, the right kind of projects can come finding me rather than me um, very much, um, uh, how to say, very stubbornly insisting that um, no, this project, I did this whole body painting project or this web documentary project or, you know, uh, that is the one that needs to be successful. Um, I feel that's a very tiring way to work where I'm dragging all of this project against the current um, to push it towards success. Um, rather, I like to be in a space where um, I'm observing, I'm I'm. Uh, my observation skills is very acute at all times. I'm constantly looking. I'm constantly processing. I've got a lot of uh, projects with me, but um, it, it's almost like I need to wait and find the right time to strike with the right project um, rather than working on all of it simultaneously and, and burning myself out. I've got to work smarter than that. Now, Rupa, how do you measure growth? Because for a lot of people, um, most people, I would say, um, you know, especially people in corporate and all, and, and this is nothing wrong. It's just uh, just an observation. It's just how most people are in that in this idea that growth is measured through, um, you know, the amount of assets they have, um, salary increment. So if um, today I'm making 4,000 ringgit and next year I'm making 4,500 ringgit and after that I'm making 5,000 ringgit, that's growth. Um, a lot of people look at their careers and, and, and think of growth that way. How do you measure growth? Um, so, it's, it's um, growth, like you said, can also be sales profit, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so year on year, you, you want to see an increase in sales and increase in right. profit. Um, for me, I've been analyzing my work and, and um, process of how I'm working. So, for example, in like 2014, 2015, I was very aggressive uh, in reaching out to clients. So, uh, the amount of proposals I sent out maybe was about 50, 60 proposals. Wow. Um, and that is just, uh, I just have to go and knock on everybody's dollar. Are you willing to hire me? Are you willing to hire me? I've got this idea. I can do this, you know. Uh, can I help you do that? So, uh, very gung-ho, very smart. want to do everything and want to be involved everywhere. Um, and that was a couple of years ago. Now, um, last year and the last two or three years, um, I've only sent out about maybe 12 proposals out uh, in a year. So success here for me is, um, and, and out of the, the 12 proposals, maybe 8 or 10 I usually uh, will get as a client. So right. my, my success rate of getting the client is much stronger. So the amount of work I am now doing, um, instead of trying to go and you know tank up 50 over projects, I am very much focusing on like 10 small 
little projects, right? Mm-hmm. So the effort I exert out is really uh, much more um, clearer, narrower, well-defined. So I'm not wasting time with people who um, just come up to me and they are just curious on my um, cost, um, but they are not really interested on my values or the way that I'm working, right? So I... I'm in a position now where I don't need to actually reach out and even market myself anymore. I get clients coming in um, saying they've heard of the way I work and they like the values that I have in my work um, and therefore they want to hire me. So that is how I see those, that um, instead of exerting myself, I can just sit where I am sitting and clients come finding me. I don't have to go out chasing for them. And therefore I have more time to be able to do better work for my clients and um, give higher results for um, smaller implementation. Um, So that's one of the ways I measure growth as well. Um, The other thing is, you know, the ability to take risk and stress. Um, When I was in the agency, um, client servicing was usually a very big deal, right? And usually, um, like, people are very afraid to say no to clients. Uh, people are very afraid to like, oh, you know, if I say no to the client, I'll lose the client. Um, for me now in my position, um, it's, it may sound arrogant, but I have the ability to say no to my clients. I'm very fussy about who I work with. Um, that is simply to protect my peace of mind and ma- my mental health because I don't want to work with a client who doesn't understand the kind of work I do and then it's very difficult and it's very heartbreaking um, where then the client uh, has a completely different expectations uh, of the work that you're doing and then you have to put your own health um, on the line to be able to reach that KPI uh, or the the KPI that 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 particular client has set on you. So um, growth for me now is the ability to say no to clients um, to say that, like, um, thank you for your offer. The money is great. Um, I wish I was a different kind of an artist, but, um, you know, this is not the right job for me. Um, this, you know, I can introduce you to somebody else who might be more excited to have this opportunity, but this opportunity is not for me. So the ability to say no to an opportunity also means success. Because if I am merely struggling to survive, I will take anything that comes my way. But uh, when I want to be able to say I'm actually striving in the industry, um, I, I have the luxury to choose. Rupa, this honestly has been such an um, engrossing conversation and it really has made me mm-hmm. think a lot about how I would define success as well. Before we wrap mm. up, um, I want to ask you just one more thing. What does it feel like? You've been doing this for some time. What does it feel mm. like doing something you love every day? I think it's slightly overrated. <laughs> People think I'm like this happy little bunny. You know, they come <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> oh, I'm working on my passion. You know, I'm so happy. <laughs> uh, it, that's just further from the tr- truth, like, right. you know. Um if anyone is hoping, like, I would say this will be a sweet, you know, nice um, journey. It is not. It's, it's heartbreaking. It's painful. It's difficult. Um, 
you will meet more failure than you will meet success. And uh, for me, it is every time you get hit, you know, um, it's every time you meet failure, uh, the ability to rise again from that failed state is what, um, and, and to continuously do that is what I think successful is. So, yeah, I um, I think for me, it's like, I don't see it any other way. I can't, um, I, I, I have lived in a way that is um, so honest and so truthful to myself. And I'll continue in this journey, finding what that means for me, um, that I cannot go back to, um, you know, someone else forcing me to do things their way. Mm -hmm. Um, so for me, I guess every day, if I can get up and, um, choose what is it I'm going to do today. Um, if I hold on to the ability to be able to choose every single day, um, and it is really in the smallest details. Um, it's in um, how I choose to spend my time every single day. That's what's important for me. Um, so, yeah, I hope that answers you. <laughs> yeah, it certainly did. And this has been a really, really wonderful conversation um, with you, Rupa. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. It was great to process all of this with you. That was Rupa Subramaniam. She's an artist and arts curator. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can check out the podcast on the BFM app, bfm.my or pretty much wherever you get your podcast from. You just have to look up Redefining Success. I'm Dashan Johan, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.